Well, this morning, uh, as Josiah has already said, we're going to talk a little bit about the vision, the mission, the values of Renovation Church. And part of the reason why we haven't spoken on it in a long time and probably should do it way more often, to be honest with you. Uh, I think it's... Uh, Oh, uh, Rick Warren says at Saddleback, if I remember correctly, years ago, he used to speak the vision every 26 days, and he said the reason for that was, he said, if you look at the book of Nehemiah or see the story of Nehemiah, 26 days halfway through building the wall, they forgot why they were building the wall, basically. <laughs> and they had to be reminded, and, and to go back on to building the wall. So uh, we've gone past 26 days, okay, since we've done this. So, so, but part of the reason is, too, is many of you are new to renovation. I hope I would just ask that if, you, uh, if you've been in renovation a long time, that you'd be looking around for the folks who haven't, that you just don't know who they are, okay? They may have been coming here for years, or they may have just been coming here for weeks. Uh, but just introduce yourself. I encourage you to do that, and vice versa. If you've been coming here for a little while and don't really know many folks here, just introduce yourself. It's a, yeah, that's what you need to do. That's, that's what I'd say there. But today, I, again, I will just say next week we're going to start a series uh, that we've, we've touched on before, but it's, it's called Good and Beautiful God. And it's uh, based on, in many ways, the, it's based on God. But James Bryan, J- James Bryan Smith wrote a book a few years ago that has really intrigued, intrigued our staff and uh, a really a powerful book. And I think the men are going to be doing that book also during this window of time also. And uh, so anyway, I just want to encourage you to be here. But it's Good and Beautiful God starting next week. But to kind of give you a little bit of a background, uh, well, if you are new here, we, this used to be the Biltmore Church of the Nazarene, which we still are a part of the International Church of the Nazarene. Uh, but Biltmore Church of the Nazarene in 2012 voted to close the doors and then open back up again as a new start uh, months later. So in March of 2013, uh, I think March 24th, we opened this sanctuary up and started as a new church here on this property called Renovation Church. And this, so we're about to complete our fifth year as an organized church here on this campus. Uh, you might see, let's see one of the pictures there. This is what the, the sanctuary used to look like many, many moons ago, five years ago. It looked like that. Well, maybe not five years ago today. I think we'd already put some pretty big destruction on it at that point. I think we'd already sold the pews by that time. And then you could flip it to the next one there if you don't mind. But again, changed out a little bit over that amount of time. So we not only were a part of of, you know, I'll talk about the name of renovation, but we also did a lot of renovating, uh, just so you know, at, over the last uh, five years in different spots along the way. So it's been a lot, a lot of things going on, but a lot, most of it, I, I want to just say and just so thankful for, for is the lives that have come across our paths. Many have stayed, some have moved, some moved out of the state, some have moved on. But what God has allowed us to be a part of these first five years has been pretty awesome. Renovation, the term renovation, uh, just so you know, the term comes from the Latin term renovare, which means to make new or restore, to bring vigor and life to something. Where something that maybe didn't have it before, all of a sudden that life begins to come back to it. Not just, just life, but it's zoe. And then, you know, we would talk about, uh, in, in scripture, when we talk about life, it's that phrase zoe, where it's more than just living, it's life. It's life with a purpose. And so the term renovation has comes, comes out of that. And many of you, if you've ever been involved in a renovation project of any size, especially of significant size, you may have been in the middle of that project 
and wondered if it was really worth it. <laughs> you ever done that? You're working on, I'm talking about a, a physical project you're working on, and, and maybe it's your home or maybe it's your business, wherever it is, and you're in the middle of it going, man, I think it had just been better to stay where we were. But you have to be reminded of where you're headed, though, right? You have to be reminded. We're, we, we have to have some idea of what we're, what we're headed towards. But the challenge with spiritual renovation many times is that we don't see it coming. And possibly we're not a willing participant. Ever been there? God's bringing the renovation. He's bringing you to that point and begin to let you realize what God, he's, he, you may not realize it at first, but you realize at some point that, hey, this is something bigger than just a, an annoyance. It's a renovation. I'm just going to ask you this morning as we talk about this, don't run from God's renovation projects. Become a willing participant as soon as you can. One thing that helps me when God's doing a renovation on me is remind me of what I'm being renovated for. Why am I in the middle of this unrequested renovation project? And the answer to that to me is always Christ-likeness. It's never about me or you in the sense of, oh, I'll look better. I'll... No, it's about what He's wanting to do in our lives to make us more like Christ. That is our goal. That is our, that is our marching. We're headed there. We'll never achieve it fully, I don't know, on this earth because we're imperfect people, but man, we can continue to improve and we allow those renovation projects to come sometimes small, sometimes very, very large. Our logo, as many of you have seen around, it's a construction sign, just so you know. That's what it was originally designed. It was a construction sign because we talked about it as a, th our three staff members talked about it one day in a room and said, what would be this, the logo of something that was under renovation? And the best thing we could come up with was a construction sign. So that's a construction sign. The color is basically based around that also. But the biggest thing I want you to see is, is the broken pieces. The broken pieces represent not only us, it represents people. It represents the world. But in the middle of those broken pieces is what? The bridge. The cross. It is the cross that goes and drops in the middle of those broken pieces, those broken vessels, and begins to make that bridge back. So renovation. Vigor. Life. Restore. Taking broken pieces and only through the cross, then begin to be put back together whole. Our vision statement, I'm going to go in reverse. Normally I do the mission, but I, in, in just in helping with the message today, I'm going to go with the vision statement first. And a vision statement is normally a clear, specific picture of what we want to be someday. So if you said, this is what we want, if I could paint you a picture, the picture is this, to raise up influencers through spiritual transformation to be salt and light where we are engaged and influential. To raise up influencers. 
What we love, the reason why we camped on that term influencers is we believe, and some of you would say, well, raise up leaders, raise up witnesses, and okay, and I agree, those things could be put in there. But one of the things we believe is that people, all of us are influencers. By the time you're old enough to realize what's going on in the world, as a little child, to the day they put you in the grave, it could be 100 years old, you have an opportunity to influence. But can't just, to, to us, it can't just be any kind of influencer. You, you, you have an opportunity to influence for the positive those around you, but as you allow God to transform you, you become this salt and light we know is biblical if you know the word, where we are engaged and influential. Renovation's goal has never been to have hundreds or tens of programs going on on this campus. Our hope is to create a place where you're able to be trained be able to have the tools put in your hands where you can go back where you're already engaged and influential. One of the things we believe over the years, many times the church has tried to take people out of the world into the church and do everything here when the reality is that's where they're already influential. So how do we help give them the tools to be everything from their home to being a mom and dad, a husband and wife, to your recreational, to your workplace, to your schools, and yes, here on this campus too, in your community around you. I love what Jesus, I, I don't know if it's a vision statement, but I love this passage of Scripture because we've alluded to it this morning in, in worship. Jesus says, those who give themselves to Him will receive living water. The Spirit of God Himself. We will receive, John 7 says, we will receive rivers of living water, and I go on to say, flowing from the center of our lives to a thirsty world. What a great vision that rivers of living water genuinely can come from your life in such a way that those around you, even the song we just sang, are different because you're in their lives. I think about it, there's one, that I think one passage of Scripture, I'm not sure where it is, but Jesus is talking about it, it's a perpetual spring flowing from within you. I think about this, it's like you're trying to, it's like it's, you're almost kind of keeping it pushed down and it's trying to explode into your life if you just let it. And part of our journey in life is allowing, releasing more and more pieces that we've hung on to. I love what T.D. Jakes talks about the future or a vision T.D. Jakes says this. He said, problem is not where you want to go. He's talking about our future. He said, we almost all have a picture of a better future. Now, probably everybody in here says, if I, if I could paint, I think about a better future. I think about it looking this way. He said, a desi- desired future for ourselves and our family and our culture. He said, that's not the problem. He said, the problem is what we're not willing to let go of in order to get there. God comes to renovate. He sometimes comes to, let you, to, get, to, to pry your hands loose from something. I don't know what that is. And you know you want this future. You know that's your desire in your head. But like T.D. Jake says, the problem is not there. The problem is it's what we're not willing to let go of in order to get there. So a vision. We have to work through that as a church. We have to work through that individually. We have to work as a church. What do we let go of in order to achieve what God is calling us to do? What I appreciated about this church 
and those who are still here who are part of the former Biltmore Church of the Nazarene. You let go of something. It was a phenomenal act of faith to say, I'm going to trust, I'm going to trust the church of the Nazarene. I'm going to trust this pastor. To, to, I'm going to, we've poured into this. We've tithed. We've given. We've served. But we're going to let go in order for. And we all have to be doing that in our own lives, but even as a community of believers. God comes to renovate. The Renovation Church mission, it's why we exist. It's aspirational, yes. A mission statement is always aspirational. You'll never fully live into it, but you're always longing to live into it. You're always trying to get there. I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians. Let's go back just a second. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians first before I get there. And our mission statement of renovation comes out of 1 Thessalonians 1-3, but I'm going to read 1 Thessalonians 1-1-10 through 10, just so you'll get a context of where this passage of Scripture comes from. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also, and I love this, with power, with Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model, and I would just say an influencer. You became a model. To all believers in Macedonia and Achaia, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. How would you like that to be? Hey, you know those people over in Thessalonica? Yeah, their faith is known everywhere. We already know. Everywhere we go, we hear about you. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turned to God from idols. They let go, didn't they? They had to let go. To serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven, whom he has raised from the dead, whom Jesus rescues from the coming wrath. I'll repeat verse 3. We remember before God and our Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance, your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission statement is to live by faith, known by love, be a voice of hope. To live by faith, known by love, voice of hope. And I'm going to go through this this morning, hopefully quickly, and just explain to you a little bit of how we've ended up with these. Obviously, it's come out of this passage of Scripture, but define them just a little bit. And part of this, I'm going to give Dallas Willard, uh, those who know of Dallas Willard, I love reading him over the last decade or so. And our definitions on each one of these really have come from some things he's written, and so I just want to make sure and give him credit for this. But the first one is this, is to live by faith. And he says it's the confidence 
in the unseen grounded in reality. It's the confidence in the unseen grounded in reality. Now let me say this about to live by faith. Most of us in here, if somebody asks you uh, what's your faith, you're going to go to what kind of religion you're in or what kind of theology you follow. I mean, most of us, uh, I mean, we know in our culture, I mean, you could be Jewish or Muslim or Christian, but even inside the Christian world, there's going to be multiple, multiple theologies, right? So then you're going to talk about your faith. When you start talking about your faith, you don't talk about what we're talking about here. You start talking about theology. Or you start talking about a name or religion you're a part of. That's not what this is talking about. Even though it's involved in it, and theology is, is important, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe correct theology, the best you can understand it, uh, is great. And it needs to be followed, needs to be sought out. But this is different in that sense. And he says it's a confidence in the unseen grounded in reality. And the, way I, the best illustration I have for that, and I'm sure you could come up with a lot better ones, but this is the one I have for you this morning, is when people get married, if they thought it out, they marry this person, husband and wife, based on what they know right now, current reality. But what we don't know, like for Jan and I, what we didn't know was, I don't know for sure right then what kind of spouse she's going to be. And I don't know what kind of mom if we have children. I don't know that. It's by faith. But I'm basing it on my current reality. Now for me, I had a pretty good sense because I know Jan, well, I knew her two months, but anyway, but I knew her well, uh, 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 two months, 12 days. But, but, if anybody knows Jan, it doesn't take very long to figure that out. But she's the one that took the gamble, okay? Because I'm telling you, I didn't know what kind of husband I would be either. I didn't know what kind of father I would be either. But based on current reality, I walk with confidence. I step in this pulpit every Sunday by faith. Based, though, many times on what God has done. If I didn't know he was going to show up, of course, he's always, always here, but you know what I'm saying. It would be hard to step in here. Actually, I wouldn't do it. But it's by faith. Based on. And faith, there's a natural faith. You know, you get on a plane, you have faith that, that the, the person you've never met up in the front of the, of, of the plane has done their stuff. You, you have natural faith, we just believe. But then there's this supernatural faith. That only involves, it only can come by God showing up, God being involved in it. Because faith really is always God's work, but faithfulness is our choice to be a part of that. And really, there, you really don't have faith unless there's a desire to be faithful. I love what Brian Houston says about faithfulness. He says, Faithfulness is holding on to your purpose and trusting God. And God's goodness in the midst of all the peaks, celebrations, and mountaintops, as well as the trials, temptations, and tragedy that life throws your way. This is how you grow grounded in grace. By faith. See, I believe God is continually inviting us. 
Inviting us to believe that He has a better future than anything we've even experienced in the past. You know, one of the things that get churches in trouble and they get stuck, they're always wanting to go back to somewhere. They're wanting to, they're wanting to live on faith of 10 years ago. They're not living with expectation, they're living on experience. Now, understand what I mean by experience is great because it builds faith, it builds faith in you and faithfulness. But I'm telling you, there's got to be expectation. Because if you're only living back here, I don't know that you're living in faith anymore because you already know that. When we begin, especially in the middle of a renovation project in our lives, we have to believe in God's transforming grace. And that is one of our values here at Renovation is transformation. And we believe that transformation does not come only by just setting certain practices in place. We believe there needs to be spiritual formation. We believe it's critical in your journey. But let me say this. That alone does not transform you. You have to engage an almighty God. You have to be in close relationship with an almighty God. Because there's where your heart changes. We, can, we know this. You know enough religions that can discipline yourself not to do something. If you do enough things and put enough things in place, you just won't do that anymore. But I want to have a faith that transforms me not to just stop doing something, but cause me to become something I never could have been before. Literally, he's transforming my heart. He didn't just say, I just didn't recognize, hey, stop doing that, or hey, start doing that. Okay, those are great, but it's got to be more than that. I've got to be becoming something more than I could have been before. That's the faith. Not just stopping being greedy or stingy, but becoming generous. And I just want, I want you to hear this part, and some of you have heard this illustration so many times you're, 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 you're nauseated with it. But Our hope here at Renovation is not to come up with some system that transforms people. Our goal is to create an environment or culture where great transformation can happen. But it's like a farmer planting a seed. This is the illustration. The farmer looks at the right season. He looks at the soil. He tills the soil. He does all the things he needs to, needs to do to prepare the soil. Then he plants the seed, and he, and he waters it. He cultivates it. He fertilizes it. He does all those things, but there's one thing he can't make it do. He cannot make it grow. But what he can do is give the best conditions for it to grow. That's what we're striving for. We won't be perfect at it, but that's what we're striving for. We will never try to do what only God can do. But we want to work in partnership with Him to give the best opportunities for those to happen. We will receive rivers of living water that can flow from the center of who we are to a thirsty world. Transformation. To be known by love. 
Willard would say, we love others when we promote their good, when we wish them well. I don't know if you know this, but I, I, mean, I, I believe this. There is a world out there calling us to live up to our best. And if I can only true love, truly love others when I promote their good, I can only truly do that when I'm living into the fullest of my calling. I can only truly do that when I'm getting healthy and whole. Because Jesus says in Matthew 22, 36-40, you know it, said, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I love Jesus' tags. All the law and the prophets hang on these two. It's a big deal. To love your neighbor as yourself. See, you cannot love your neighbor as yourself and be stingy because you're not stingy with yourself. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself and lie. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself and gossip. You don't do these things because the Bible tells you not to. As Christians, we do or don't do these things because we love others and do not want to hurt them. You love your neighbor by treating that person regardless of who they are the way you would want to be treated. A true and correct understanding of the neighbor crosses boundaries of family, class, race, geographical, it crosses all those boundaries. Who is your neighbor? When Peter states above, in 1 Peter 4, 8, above all, keep your love for one another constant because love covers a large number of sins, he's saying that choosing to love often sets all motives in the right place. You're doing it for the right reasons. And yes, love means that we have to be forthright. Love doesn't mean just accepting everything and going on about our business. It means we have to speak the truth. Many times I hear people say, well, the reason I hang out with those people because they just accept me the way I am. You've heard that. You've probably heard it. You know, your kids along the way say that different ones. But here's the problem. What if the way they're who you are is detrimental to who you are and to those around you? That's not love because they just accept you the way they are. you are. But it's detrimental. So truth has to be tied to love, which leads us to the value of mercy. Micah 6, 8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. To act justly, to love mercy, Robert Lupton says that, talking about Micah's saying love mercy, he said, mercy is compassion, kindness, or forgiveness shown especially to someone or a person who you have power over. And what he means by power is power meaning you have the ability to make a difference. You have the ability to make a difference. And mercy and compassion should affect us deeply. I think one translation I read, it affects us in our bowels, and I don't want to get too descriptive here, but in the depths of who we are. It's not just putting a few bucks in the, in the offering plate. It's not just you know, going by and doing this, that. You're moved by the desire to alleviate and to make a difference. But let me say this, and I think this is something I have to be reminded of every day. I don't think I do it enough. 
Mercy is also fully understanding what we have been shown by Christ. God's mercies are new every day. Here in a little bit, we are going to come, those who want, around the communion table, the Lord's Supper, in remembrance, in remembrance of the mercy and the grace that God has shown for us. And when you live in a state of understanding what God has done for you, it's a whole lot easier to take that and turn it and give it to others. But if you somehow or another feel like you've earned it, you have a right to it, and somehow or another it's been a long time since you've thought about the mercy God has shown on you, it makes it really hard sometimes for you to have compassion on others. If God never showed you anything else in His mercy, He's already shown you enough to do what you need to do. But every day, it changes the way you look at things. See, I believe, when our, I, I, I believe I can tell you when your best moments are in life. It's when you willingly sacrifice your own needs for the good of others. Because it's in those moments you're reflecting the image of God. But I want to tell you, folks, it requires transformation. It requires unbelievable spiritual strength and wisdom and discernment. See, loving your neighbor is not a matter of who you are or are not. An act of mercy is different than living a life of mercy. An act of mercy is different than living a life of mercy. Some of us, and there's people who are far away from God who have compassion at times. But to live a life of compassion and mercy is different. Because you've been transformed into that person. Are being transformed. It's one of the statements we make here a lot. I've been transformed and I am being transformed. The last one is the voice of hope. It is the anticipation of the unseen good not yet here. The anticipation of that unseen good not yet here is a statement I heard years ago. And you've heard me say it many times. When there's hope in the future, there's power in the present. When there's hope in the future, there is power in the present. The reality is some of you have come in here today, I would guess, with a great lens challenge if there is any hope. But hope is so closely related to faith. And one of the things I love about hope is not only that I get to look at hope in anticipation of something happening good in my own life, but I also have hope as I anticipate and I look at other people's lives. One of the things we talk about, the people of great influence, they believe people can. They believe people can change. They don't, say, they don't know that they will change, but you believe they can. You can look at someone else's situation and begin to believe in there somewhere is hope. And I know there are moments where it looks hopeless. There are times you get into and moments that you're standing in in your life that may not seem that way. But I believe hope is critical in the acceleration of your life. One of the questions I have asked, we've talked about as a staff, and as as we sang the song Broken Vessels, can renovation be a place where broken, messed up people can find help and hope and healing? 
where marriages are healed, where the lost are found, where successful people who may seem like they've got it all together find great purpose. See, one thing I'm convinced of is that God knows where we are. (laughs) And He has a great plan. And we just need to be looking to Him. The good news, the gospel is the good news. And if the good news, if it's good news for you, then it's good news for everybody around you, right? It should be, the good, good news that's living in your life should be good news for everybody that knows you. Everybody you come in contact with. And we should be a place where we can be in a part of a community. And I think it's one of the challenges we have in our culture today. Is there's not very many communities. That we feel safe. We feel like it's a place where we can be healed. Made whole. At renovation, we want to be a place. And we value community. That's our third value. Our values are transformation, mercy, and community. And I would say to you today, I would agree with all my heart, I guess, in this way. It would be easier to live this whole ministry thing out if people were not involved. (laughs) And people were not messed up. And if people thought more like you and I did, you know, that kind of deal. You've had that cross your mind before, I'm sure. If people were more like me, everything would be much better, right? God has placed us among people. Imperfect people. Where even in our best moments, we can be complicated. The community is what we were created for. When the first human was made, things were not good until there were two. The biblical story is a story of community. Jesus lived a model of community with his band of disciples. The early church is the story of the people gathered together and were one heart and mind, sharing everything in common. The story ends, by the way, just to let you know, the story ends with a vision of the new community in the book of Revelation, just so you know. It is about community. And again, I think it's one of the most glaring things in our culture today, and I think it's glaring sometimes even in churches. Loving our neighbor, what does that look like? Most of the conflicts that we have in our culture today, I believe, and we've talked about this before here is it is it nobody listens and everybody puts up walls and everybody's trying to pigeonhole somebody else everybody gets in their camp whether whatever it is whether it's their religion or political or social or whatever it is they get in their camp the one thing we as believers i realize diversity it helps us but i tell you the thing that holds us together is sameness we were created in the image of god every soul is valuable we have to make that a priority no matter who you run into where you are, that person is valuable because of sameness, because of God's mercies can be shown on anyone. I believe one of the greatest signs of Christian maturity is this. Rather than retreating from our neighbor, we must embrace them and love them. Dings, scars, baggage, 
dysfunction and all. As salt and light. As influencers. It is our hope through God using us to bring them back to their great purpose, the great reconciliation and restoration that God has for them. I'm not going to read it, but 2 Corinthians 5 talks about we have been given. First off, it says, we are compelled by Christ's love for us. Mercy, God's mercy on us compels us. And here's the deal about compel. You don't have to do it, I guess. You're not forced to do it, but you can't help yourself but to go do it. That's what it means to live a life of mercy. When you know God's love has been poured out on you, you can't help but share it with others around you. You can't help it. It's just an automatic, it flows out of you automatically. It's streams of living water flowing out of you. Because we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. 2 Corinthians 5 says the ministry to bring people back to God and to bring people back to each other and to bring and to restore their lives back to healthy and whole the best we can on this side of heaven. That's what we've been called to do. And we at Renovation are trying to do our best to get there. And it's never been a straight line, I can tell you that, of what God has called us to do here. A few years ago, I heard Francis Chan. I asked you to sign him to come on up as we go to communion. Francis Chan say this, and I'm paraphrasing because I was writing it down, so please don't hold me to every quote on this, but the, the, the spurring of this thought came from him. But it's this. He said, I mean, really, if this faith we talk about is the deciding factor and it is the ultimate and only healer of individuals, marriages, families, cultures, a nation, or the world, we have to come to a sobering conclusion. Either there are individual lives, marriages, families, cultures, nations, or a world at stake, or they are not. And if they are not, let's go do something else with our lives. But if this faith is a deciding factor and is the ultimate and only healer of all these mentioned, then we need to take this real, real serious and get busy. Or let's go do something else. The best indication that we are a church that is in line with the kingdom would be a place where broken and sinful and despaired people are being healed and that the image of God is being restored in them. I love this. 1 Thessalonians 1, 5 says, But with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you became a model. You became influencers. Living by faith, being known by love, being a voice of hope. And faith, hope, and love are the fuel that ignited the first century church. Where the Holy Spirit empowered them with this consuming fire that Hebrews talks about. And grounded in this tremendous conviction that Paul writes here. That changed the history of the world. A small band changed the history of the world. Small band of disciples. One of the hardest things we'll ever be a part of 
is helping people change, and that includes my own life, my, to make a heart change and behavior change. But with the power of the Spirit working in us, we have great opportunities.